Well, good morning. I'm excited to be able to be here with you guys this morning and celebrate this Independence Day weekend. I kind of feel uh, the way July 4th fell this year, I kind of feel like we've gotten to celebrate for two weekends in a row. So that's kind of okay with me. I'm always up for a party and some good food. How about you guys, right? Well, It is always such an honor to be able to share with you guys on a Sunday morning. Most of the time I'm up here leading worship and I don't get to um, speak and share my heart, but I am always privileged and honored um, when I get this opportunity. So I just want to say thank you to our pastor, my dad, um, for allowing me this opportunity and also to let you guys know that this is the last week that they will be gone. They will be back next week and I know we're all... Very excited um, to have them back and have Pastor back in the pulpit, but um, I'm going to do my best this morning um, to bring a word that I believe that God has placed on my heart. So um, let's pray. Lord, we just love you. We thank you so much um, just for, for this great spirit that we feel in this room today, God. God, I just pray that you would guide my words and that I would only speak and only share what you would have me to share, God. And I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear what you would have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's start by reading our text this morning. It comes from Hebrews 12:1, and it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You know, the title of the message this morning is called Final Sale. Do we have any shoppers in the house this morning? Anybody like shoppers? I can like see husbands like elbowing uh, their wives all throughout the congregation. It's amazing what you can see up here. It's kind of, you guys think I'm the show, but really the show is out there. You can see a lot from this high spot up here. Um, well, I don't know. Um, I think there's probably a, a lot of ladies and men that are shoppers in the house. I am my father's daughter. And if you know uh, my father very well, you probably know that he can be a bit of a tightwad. Um, I believe that the politically correct term would be frugal, but you guys all catch my drift. You kind of know where I'm going with that. Um, and so because I'm my father's daughter, I've kind of picked up some of those traits along the way. I, I've kind of put that into my life as well. But I'm also my mama's daughter. And my mama, she loves to shop. I mean... When we get together, we can literally shop till we drop. We can wear you out at the store or at the mall. We love to shop. So since I'm a combination of my frugal father and my shopping mother, I love to shop, but I only like to shop for bargains. I only buy bargains. I cannot pass up a good deal. My dad once told me, you can still go broke on bargains. I think that might be a word for some of you this morning. You can still go broke on bargains. But you know what? My favorite words to see when I'm walking uh, through the mall or past a a store, I love it when those big red and yellow words say, final sale or clearance. Everything must go. I mean, I take those signs as a sign, (laughs) 
to me that the Lord must want me to go in that store and the Lord must want me to buy something, right? Because, I mean, surely he would not have had me walk past the store with those signs without walking in and buying something. But do you know why these stores have those kind of sales? Have you ever thought about that? Why do sales, why are there sales? Why do stores put things on 50% off, 75% off? Why do they clearance everything out? I heard a preacher, and she used this illustration, and she was actually um, an owner of a shop, so she kind of gave us some insider information, and it really hit home to me. And she said this, the reason that stores have these big blowout final sales, clearance sales, is because they have inventory that has just been sitting on the shelves for far too long, and it's no longer profitable. It's It's not making them any money, so it's actually better for them to clear out the product that is no longer profitable so that they can make room, these stores need to make room to bring in some things, some merchandise that will bring value. Isn't that incredible? I believe that's the same in our own lives. Like our text said, we need to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. You see, all of those things in our life that are no longer profitable, we need to let those things go so that we can make room for what is. So we can run this race that is marked out for us. So this morning, the first thing I believe we need to throw off is number one, we need to let go of worry and anxiety. Let go of worry and anxiety. It is time for us to give up our anxious and worryful ways. Now let me give a quick disclaimer here. I'm not talking about a clinical condition or someone who has an anxiety disorder. That, that's different. But I'm talking about the everyday worries and anxieties of life that most people struggle with. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. And in the Greek, that word anxiety was understood to mean having a divided mind, a divided mind. The concept of a divided mind is to lose focus or to attempt to focus on too many things or just on the wrong things. Anybody struggle with worry and anxiety in here this morning? I think we can probably all relate to that definition You see, there are some statistics that say this about anxiety. They say that 40% of our anxiety is over things that will never happen. 40% over things that will never happen. 30% of our anxiety is over things that happened in the past and cannot be changed. Cannot be changed. 12% of our anxiety comes from criticism from others that is actually untrue. And only 8%, this little 8% of our anxiety actually comes from real problems that will have to be faced. Isn't that incredible? Can you believe how much time and energy and focus we spend worrying and being anxious over things that aren't going to happen, that have already happened, or aren't even true? Charles Swindoll said, worry pulls tomorrow's clouds over today's sunshine. Man, 
Anxiety and worry does nothing to benefit our lives. In fact, it is detrimental to our lives. It steals our joy, it steals our peace, and it takes our confidence. We need to get rid of worry and anxiety that is no longer profitable for us so that we can have room to bring something else in. I believe what we need to bring in, we need to replace worry and anxiety with trust. With trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You see, worry and anxiety focuses on our situations. But trust focuses on God and what he is going to do through the situation. Through the situation. Peter said, cast all of your anxiety on God. That literally means that we are to throw every care and every concern we have onto God. And he is always there ready to receive it. Let me give you a couple practical things that you can do with your worry and with your anxiety. Number one, you can remind yourself what God's word says. Remind yourself what God's word says. Get in the scripture. Start reading and meditating on the word. Because every single situation that we face on this earth, you will find instructions. You will find promises. You will find answers about it in scripture. So remind yourself what God's word says. Number two, rebuke negative thoughts. Rebuke negative thoughts. Take every thought captive. You know, we can't keep the thoughts of fear and doubt and worry and anxiety from coming, but we can make the decision whether or not we're going to sit and dwell on it. We have to speak out loud and rebuke the enemy. Don't allow him to have free reign in your mind and in your thoughts. And number three, refresh your spirit with praise. Man, I believe that praise is one of the greatest weapons we have against worry and anxiety. You see, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And in his presence, there is peace. So if we said that anxiety means focusing on too many things or focusing on the wrong thing, then praise will actually take the attention off of those things, off of ourselves and our situations, and put it on God. And then he will be able to provide you with all the peace that you need. So not only do we need to let go of worry and anxiety this morning, but two, number two, we also need to let go of comparison. Let go of comparison. You know, this is a big one for a lot of people. Comparison is the thief of joy. It is the thief of joy. Comparisons either make you feel superior or they make you feel inferior and neither serve a useful purpose. Neither serve a useful purpose. Comparison is just a form of competition and it distracts us from running our race. You see, we all have our own race to run. We have all been given a measure to use. In Romans 12, three through eight, it says, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. 
In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You see, we can only be effective when we are being authentic. You will not be effective trying to use someone else's measure or someone else's gift. Don't be distracted by comparing yourself to what others are doing. Focus on what God has called you to do. You know, in this social media age that we live in, it is really easy for us to begin to compare our everyday mundane lives with someone else's highlight reel. Has anyone ever done that before? But you know what? You have no idea what's going on behind those little glossy, filtered, airbrushed pictures. You have no idea. And honestly, it's not our business to know. We should be focusing on what's going on in our lives, on the dreams that God has placed in our hearts. It's easy to look at other people's lives and look at other people's successes and think that we want what they have. If I could just have that. We think that the grass is greener But what we don't realize is that their grass is green because of all the manure they have went through to fertilize it. Amen? You don't know what they went through to get where they are. We want their promise, but are we willing to go through their process? Are you willing to go through their process? Because you will never have promotion without process first. You see, the idea of a thing is very different than the reality of a thing. You guys get that? The the idea of it, it's great, but the reality is kind of different. Like me, I love music. And honestly, all my life, I have always wanted to play the piano. I mean, I would just love, oh, I would just love to be able to just sit at the piano and just play and just worship. Oh, I just, I love the idea of playing the piano. It's amazing. But the reality is you don't just wake up one day and you're a concert pianist. I wish that's the way it worked, but you don't. You see, the reality is that it takes a lot of work and practice to learn how to play the piano. You don't just play the piano. You have to learn how to play the piano. And it's real easy for me to just watch Pastor Clay up here playing the piano. Oh, and he just plays so beautifully and he makes it look so stinking easy, right? It just looks like it's so easy. And it's easy for me to compare myself to him and wish, man, I wish I had what he had. I wish I could do that. But what I'm not realizing is the hours and hours of practice and all the time that he has sacrificed to make it look so easy. So don't fall into the trap of comparison just because someone else's life looks one way or they have the talent or the platform that you wish and you desire you have. They did not get there without a process. So what are you doing with your measure? 
How are you wringing out your process? Do what God has placed in your hands and stop being consumed by what others have. Run your race. You see, the opposite side of comparison is just as bad. We've been talking about comparing ourselves to others um, who appear to have more than us and wanting what they have, but sometimes we feel so bad about ourselves that it leads us to start comparing ourselves with people that we feel are less than to try to make ourselves feel better. Lisa Bevere said, comparison will cause you to feel prideful or depressed, but never fulfilled. I'm going to say that again. Comparison will cause you to feel prideful or depressed, but never fulfilled. Neither one of those is profitable. So what is the answer to comparison? How do we let it go? I believe we let go of comparison by replacing it with gratitude. Gratitude turns what we have into enough. You see, we are not very good at multitasking. We try to think that we are, but we are not. And we cannot be grateful for what we have by constantly and still be constantly comparing ourselves to others. So when we choose gratitude over comparison, it gets our eyes off ourselves and helps us focus on God. It helps us recognize all the little things we have to be thankful for. It leaves no room for complaining or negativity. Gratitude actually makes the enemy flee. The enemy cannot stand to be around people whose hearts are giving thanks and honor to God. So he will flee as we begin to live in gratitude, and it opens the door for continued blessings. It's time today that we let go of comparison and we allow gratitude to come in and fill that space. The third thing we need to let go of this morning is to let go of negative talk. Negative talk. There are so many scriptures in the Bible that talk about the power of our words, but I want us to look at Proverbs 18, verses 20 through 21. It says this, From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. What an incredible word picture, right? I love to eat. I love to eat. So maybe that's why this scripture really spoke to me, but When you look at it, it says, from the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. So it's saying here is, the words a person speaks, they're going to have to eat them later. That should make us think a little bit more about what we say. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. That's saying that you will have to reap the harvest your mouth has sowed. My mom hates sweet potatoes. I mean, she can't stand them. She's not a picky eater, but she'll eat about anything except for sweet potatoes. She thinks they're disgusting. Even the smell of sweet potatoes is enough to send her over the edge. She will gag. It's pretty funny. It doesn't matter how they're cooked or how they're prepared. She just doesn't like them. When we let negative things come out of our mouth that shouldn't be, it's like spooning up a big old helping of sweet potatoes to serve to my mom to eat. 
You see, from the fruit of the mouth, a person's stomach is filled with the harvest of their lips. They are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it, those who love to talk, amen, will eat its fruit. Kind of gives a whole new meaning for having a bad taste in your mouth, right? So we can see from this scripture that negative talk is not profitable for us. But what exactly is negative talk? Uh, There's so many examples of it, but I want to focus on two this morning. Number one is gossip. Gossip. Proverbs 2019 says, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. Right? You see, James 1.26 says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Gossip has been one of the Christian's favorite sins for a very long time. Oh, we don't call it sin. We, we don't even like to call it gossip. We like to mask it by saying we're just so concerned. We're just so concerned, right? Or, or we're just venting, that's all. It's not gossip, we're just venting. But if a person's name comes out of your mouth and they are not present, your words should always be kind. It is not your story to tell. Gossip is not harmless. It is actually deadly. Did you know that Bible even lists gossip among other sins like greed and murder, God-hating and disobedience? It is not profitable, and it's got to go. Another example of negative talk is critical speech. Critical speech. Ephesians 4.29 says, do, you, um, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now hear me, there may be times when God will use you and your words to bring an unpleasant word to someone or to help someone see something that is wrong or that needs to change. But there is a difference between someone who is being critical and someone who is bringing a critique. You see, the difference is the heart behind it. Someone who is being critical, when someone is critical, it's personal. It's an attack on the person or on the position. But a critique is brought in love and relationship for the purpose of helping and building someone up to help make something better, not just to point out how bad something is. Let me give you a little wisdom on how to bring a critique. Number one, ask God if it's your critique to give. You know, just because you see something that you think can be done differently or better doesn't necessarily mean that it's your place to say something. I know it's a novel concept in the world of opinions we live in today, but just because you think it doesn't always mean you have to say it. It, shocking. It's shocking. Pray and ask the Lord if he would have you to share it. Number two about bringing a critique is to choose your words carefully. Think about what you're going to say and then ask yourself, are there better words I could use? Are there better words I could use? You see, the purpose of a critique is to help and to build up. So if we don't engage our brains before we engage our mouth, our critique will not be taken right. And honestly, it will ultimately be useless. 
It'll be useless. Choose your words carefully. Number three, be humble. Be humble. You see, pride delights in criticizing others. So if you are overly excited about dishing out critiques, it might be a sign that pride is guiding your heart. Think about the times in your life when you've had a critique or or been given correction. How did it feel? It's never easy to receive. But when it's being given by a humble heart, by someone who obviously loves you and is only wanting good for you, It is so much easier to swallow. And then number four, be prayerful. Be prayerful. Ruth Graham once said about her husband, it's my job to love Billy. It's God's job to change him. You see, there's so much wisdom in that statement. While we might be asked to bring some truth or a critique to someone, only God can make the seed grow. So if we aren't praying for the person and praying for the, the situation, we certainly should not be trying to critique or change it. We need to get rid of, to let go of negative talk that is no longer profitable. But we also need to bring in something else. I believe we need to replace that negative talk with grace and self-control. Grace and self-control. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Proverbs 21, 23 says, Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut, and you will stay out of trouble. Anybody need help staying out of trouble sometimes? Well, here you go. Let's let go of negative talk. The final thing we're going to talk about this morning is number four, let go of offense. Let go of offense. In Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the end times. And in verse 10, he says this, And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Wow. I would say that's a pretty perfect picture of our world today. It seems like everybody is offended by something. You can't say anything or do anything today without somebody being offended. I saw a quote on Pinterest that said, the world is a magical place full of people just waiting to be offended by something. (laughs) We get offended by traffic, by high prices, bad service, preachers. I'm sure some of you will be offended by something I say today. Politics, social media, the list goes on and on and on. We have become an offended people. The word offense in scripture has a couple of meanings, and one of them is to cause to stumble. The Greek word for offense is scandalon, and that word actually means the part of the trap that the bait hung on that lured the animal in for capture. So what if we said it like this? The enemy is constantly trying to get us offended because if we take that bait then we will come into a trap and he can do a lot of damage in our lives and make us stumble. You see, offense is not a new thing. It's been around since the beginning, but scripture tells us that in the last days, offense will be even greater. You see, the enemy has an agenda. He has an agenda. In John 10, 10, it says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. His agenda is destruction. He wants to destroy you and the work that God has placed for you to do. His strategy to achieve that destruction is offense. Offense is the bait. Now, 
I'm not a hunter or a fisherman, but when I think about bait, most of the time it's not some great big thing. It's a little thing, a little worm, a little piece of cheese, just a little bit of bait. You see, the enemy doesn't usually start his agenda of destruction in our life with some massive thing or big event. Why? Because if he came at us fully loaded, guns ablazing, we would see him coming and we would be able to prepare to fend off the attack. Oh no, the enemy is a sneaky little snake and he usually starts really small, just a little bait. Just a little offense. Oh, a little prick of our heart. A hurt feeling. Just something really small. And then another little thing happens, and then another little thing happens. And although none of these things on their own seem like a very big deal, when not dealt with, they begin to compound on top of one another and to fester and to build. The scripture said that many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Well, what if that isn't just three different things that are going to happen, but what if that is actually a picture of the progression of offense? You see, you start with a little offense, you just get offended, and then that offense grows and takes hold and even causes you to begin to betray one another. And then if that offense is left unchecked, it could actually even grow into hate. It starts small, almost unnoticeable, but that is the enemy's plan to lure you in. You see, then he gets a foothold and he has a place to stand in your life. And before you know it, he has led you down a road that you would have never imagined you would go. It's the progression of offense. Think about marriages that, that end in divorce. How do two people who love each other and vow to stay together forever, years down the road, end up in court fighting over who gets to keep the washing machine. How does that happen? The problems in marriage don't typically start off with some big, horrible act or sin. It usually starts off with offense, hurt feelings, not being understood, feeling taken for granted. And if left unchecked, these things can grow into a betrayal. And in the end, the people who once loved one another and vowed to care for each other in sickness and in health end up hating each other and can't even stand to stay in the same room. We are all human. We will have opportunities every single day to be offended. But it is our choice what we will do with that offense. Will we pick it up and wear it like a shield of armor? Or will we choose to let it go? Offense is not profitable in your life. It is time to clear that inventory out. Offense has to go and we need to replace it with forgiveness. Replace it with forgiveness. Colossians 3, 12 through 13 says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Let me give you a few quick ways to deal with offense. Number one, forgive quickly. Forgive quickly. The best time to forgive someone is the minute they hurt your feelings. It's the best time to decide you're not going to be offended is the minute, the minute you start to feel that offense start to rise up. Don't let the enemy 
Have time to let that stuff take root in your life. Be alert. Be watching so that you can avoid it before it has time to progress. Don't wait to forgive. Do it now. Do it now. Number two, release pride and self-righteousness. You see, just because you're offended by something doesn't mean you're right. Ouch. When we are puffed up in ourselves and in our own righteousness, it is easy to be offended by everybody else who in our eyes isn't doing it right. Matthew 7, 3 and 6 says, And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past this big old log in your own eye? You see, pride and self-righteousness will cause us to be easily offended. It causes us to be blind to our own faults and magnify the offenses of others. But humble people, humble people are rarely offended because they're so busy working on bettering themselves instead of walking around judging others and looking for reasons to be offended. The last thing when dealing with offense is to give the situation to God and then stop talking about it. Stop talking about it. You may not be able to completely forget the offenses that have happened to you, but you do not have to continue to rehash things over and over in your mind and in your heart. Stop venting to your friends about it. Stop replaying the tape of offense. Choose to forgive. Take the situation to the Lord in prayer and then stop talking about it. Let it go. God is trying to heal you and to restore you, but every time you bring it back up, it's like picking the scab off of a wound. It starts to bleed again, and then the process has to start all over. It's time to let go of offense and replace it with forgiveness. Church, it is time to have a final sale. We need to clear out some things. We need to throw off the things that are hindering us from running our race. We need to let go of worry and anxiety and replace it with trust. We need to let go of comparison and replace it with gratitude. We need to let go of negative talk and replace it with grace and self-control. And we need to let go of offense and replace it with forgiveness. Our takeaway today is this. It's time to get rid of some things in your life that are no longer bringing value so you can make room for all that God has for you. God has great stuff for you, but you got to make some room. You got to make some room.